Good morning. How y'all doing? Good, good. Well, to open up this morning, uh, I have just a little video clip uh, from a movie. If you haven't seen this movie, it's a great movie. It's called God Bless the Broken Road. It's, uh, it's a little sad, but it's also got a great message. So let's go ahead and play that clip really quick. I love clips with kids in it, so that's kind of the ones I gravitate toward. I think you'll enjoy this one. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Finding me your all in all. I don't want to go to church. Come on, don't you want to go sing? I don't feel like it. You know, singing God's praises for the gifts that we've been given, that's what we do. Even when we don't feel like it? Especially when we don't feel like it. I miss Daddy. I do, too. But he's gonna be home soon. <laughs> Come on, I made you breakfast. <laughs> I don't feel like going to church. You ever have that feeling happen to you? I don't feel like going to the gym. I don't feel like going to work right now. I don't feel like going to... Well, this morning, we're going to talk a little bit about how to command yourself to do it even when you don't feel like it. Because uh, so much has to do with our understanding of truth, our attitude toward it, and the freedom that we live with to be able to do the right thing even when we don't feel like it. Uh, a few years ago, Tanya and I, uh, we had three small children, and we were really struggling financially. We could barely afford the beat-up minivan that we had. We were paying a mountain of medical debts because we had three kids in three years. So this was before the government really helped you, so we were, we were pretty in debt from that. <laughs> and uh, add in some student loans, the stock market crash, rising inflation, and the high cost of living in Tacoma, Washington, and we were pretty tight. In fact, we would have arguments as to how to spend literally our last dollar. You know, I always thought the Snickers bar was the way to go, but, you know, she would have other <laughs> needs. And to add to the pressure, the church that I, that I worked at had what's called an exclusivity clause, which meant I could not moonlight and take out second jobs or side jobs to earn extra income. So, I mean, it was, it was tight, and there was no way I could go out and help make ends meet. She had three little kids. She couldn't go out either. So we had one minivan and four legs between us. And then I got a call from our church. Somebody had donated a fairly recent vehicle, and they wanted to give it to me. I started dancing, you know. I was like, you know, just, I was running through the house like I was five years old screaming. I picked up my wife. I, I, I carried her across the threshold again, you know. It was like, we got a car, we got a car, we got a car. And I was so so excited. I remember I even went out and bought my kids ice cream, which was a premium thing for me to do at the time. It was a divine miracle until I saw the car. <laughs> sure, it ran. <laughs> it got you from A to B, <laughs> but there was a reason somebody donated it. In fact, you know something's wrong when they, when they show you the car and they say, don't worry, we're going to send it to the mechanic to fix a few things, you know. And I remember when I went to pick it up and they showed it to me, I, I, couldn't, 
I couldn't hide my disappointment. I remember thinking, come on, God. You can do better than this. Come on, God, we can do better. You ever have those moments? Come on, God. I know I had a need, but can't we do better than this? You know, and, and I just, it was one of the most immature moments in my life. One of the moments I'm least proud of. God had just blessed me with transportation freedom and I couldn't hide my grumbling and complaining about the quality of the provision. And all of us can struggle with this sin. Even after God does amazing things, it still isn't enough. I'm going to open a little bit with the story of the Israelites. The Israelites were slaves in Egypt. If you remember the classic Old Testament story, there's these chosen people that God chose, uh, called the people of Israel. And for 400 years, they were enslaved in what is still a country, enslaved in Egypt. And that slavery was hard. It was brutal. It was oppressive. They had no rights. Their sons were murdered. Their sons were conscripted. Their daughters were made into concubines. It was not good. Whenever anybody says, you know, the slavery in Egypt wasn't that bad. No, no, no. You just got to know a little bit about Egyptian slavery, which I do because I lived there for three years of my life. It was horrible what they did back then. You weren't human. You were like a battery. And if you died, you were just replaced with another one. And that was the life that they were living and They were horrifically oppressed. But then God miraculously delivered them from that slavery. A few months later, they were at Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments. All of a sudden, it's getting very real to them. We're not going back to Egypt. We're not slaves. We're free. And God says, all right, it's time to get going onto the promised land. And they start moving. And three days out, they begin to realize we're running out of food. God miraculously provides a food called manna. Manna is a lot like, uh, like frosted flakes. Anybody like frosted flakes? You know, I don't know about you. I could live on frosted flakes the rest of my life. I don't know what these people were complaining about. But it was like frosted flakes. And, and if you really wanted to, you could ground up these frosted flakes and make a nice cake out of it, like a cornbread honey type cake. And so God had provided that so that they would have food in the desert. And then they, he was also providing water out of rocks and things like that. So God was providing for their needs. The problem was, like me in the car, eventually the Israelites began to complain about the quality of the provision. We're going to go here to Numbers chapter 11 verse 4 to 6. I'm going to read it real quick. It's also on your screen. Now when the rabble, I like that in the Bible. Now when the rabble who were among, how many of you have been in the rabble before? You know, that's, I've been in the rabble. Now the rabble who were among them had greedy cravings. And the sons of Israel also wept again and they said, who will give us meat to eat? We want some steak. We want some pork. We want some hamburger. My goodness, we'll even take chicken and tuna if it's out there, you know? I mean, they, we want some meat. Verse 5, we remember the fish, the fish that we used to eat for free in Egypt, the place of slavery, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. 
but now our appetite is gone. I don't know, maybe a couple weeks of cornflakes would do that to me too. He said, there's nothing at all except this manna. It's funny, after all God had done for them, after getting them out of slavery, the miracle of the Red Sea parting, the Egyptian army being conquered, they were griping and complaining. And I look back and I know I have every bit of tendency to do this as well, so we, none of us here are qualified to judge them. The stories in the Bible so that we can see we can be just like them sometimes. God does an amazing thing and we still complain about it. The fact of the matter is they were willing to trade their freedom for a better menu. They were willing to trade their freedom for a better menu. And we all have moments like this. Complaining about our situation and then complaining about how God got us out of the situation. Sometimes even the best of us, we're willing to trade our blessings for a better menu. Sometimes we need to spank ourselves. And that's exactly what David does in Psalm 103. It's a prayer by David in which he talks to his own soul and reminds himself to bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. You see, David's goal is this. He wanted to excel more at praise and thanksgiving than criticism and complaining. How many of you, if you really thought about it, you could give God a one-minute praising? Just for one minute, just bless and praise God for everything he's done in your life. One minute. I wanted to do this, I wanted to, ta- I wanted to record this on my phone and do this with some of the youth, but unfortunately we had to cancel youth service this Wednesday, so I, I wasn't able to do it. But I wanted to hear out of the mouths of babes how many of us, we would start to list the things we have and thank God for it. Oh God, I thank you for my iPad. I thank you for my Wi-Fi. I thank you for my double stuffed Oreos. I thank you for my, you know, oh yeah, I could spend a minute thanking for all of that. The problem is what's on that list isn't what really should be on that list. David in Psalm 103 He puts on that list what needs to be on that list. So let's go ahead and turn there. And we're going to be in this psalm for the next two or three weeks, just like we do with Psalm 23. Uh, We're going to do this with Psalm 103. Psalm 103 is like the Bible within the Bible. If some of you are like, what is the Bible really saying? Read Psalm 103, and you'll get the gist of it. It's like the thesis statement for the entire Bible. Uh, It's, you know, Charles Spurgeon called it the Psalm of Psalms, you know. It really, it, it, once you read it and get digest all of it, it has such deep breadth of both Jewish and Christian theology in there that you'll, you'll, you'll really get a sense of what the word is trying to say. But we'll, we're going to open up here with the first five verses. So once again, uh, we just stood and read this. I'll read it out loud. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's speaking to his soul, right? <laughs> And forget not his benefits, who forgives all of your iniquity, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. What is, David is, 
begins this psalm by talking to himself. Now we know that David wrote this psalm somewhat later in his life. This is what's part of, partly known as the later psalms of David. After he's been king, after he, Bathsheba, after a lot of the events in his life, after uh, uh, Adonijah and all that, you know, he's kind of he's kind of in a, a small little peaceful period while he's writing some of these incredible worship songs for the Jews. And what David is telling him is saying, you know what, soul, person, bless the Lord. No matter how you feel, bless the Lord. No matter what the situation is. He's telling himself, bless the Lord, no matter what somebody else said to you. Bless the Lord, even when you're busy, stressed, and tired. And that is the United States of America, amen. He's telling the inner weakness of his soul, you will bless the Lord. You will. A few Sundays ago, like many Sundays ago, I came in just discouraged believe it or not pastors have Sundays where they just don't want to go to church you know but because we've tied our ankle to the stake you have to go (laughs) and I'm there and I wasn't on the worship team and I'm just standing there I'm like you know what it's only an hour and a half it'll go by oh wait I gotta give the message that's right okay it's only I'll I'll shorten the message you know I'm going through I'm thinking the most worst thoughts like you know what I just want to go home I just want to go veg out in front of the TV or go ride my bike to an ice cream shop. You know, I just, I mean, I was thinking about anything but getting deep spiritually or engaging God spiritually. And I thought of this psalm. And I thought of what David did. And I identified with perhaps a little bit of what he felt as he had walked with God. Now, I've walked with God now for about 20 years, 30 years almost. What year is it? Anyway, uh, 2022. it's 2022. Thank you. <laughs> and I remember I was over there and I just, I looked at my hands and I'm like, hands, you will raise. Mouth, you will sing. Hands, you will clap, you know. Body, you'll get into it, you know. Our worship's got some groove to it, you know. I mean, I just commanded myself. I said, you're going to do this. I don't care if you don't want to. You are going to do this. You do not control me. I control you. And body, you're just going to start doing all sorts of things. What happened was by the end of it, I couldn't even remember why I had that feeling. I couldn't even remember that haze that was over me. It was like confusion or something. And it was just that sweet sense of being able to walk out of that oppression and, and into a freedom. And I remember it was one of the Sundays where the iPad died and I had to preach without my notes. And so I'm looking at the screens, trying to preach off the screens because I didn't have anything printed. I, it, you know, and I was just kind of preaching from the heart. And that was the week I must have got 20 texts or 20 emails saying, man, Pastor Tom, even though you didn't have your notes last Sunday, that was one of the best messages, most heartfelt messages I've heard you preach. Some of you may remember what I'm talking about. It wasn't too long ago. And, 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 
And it, it was just that if, you'd have, if anybody would have known what it had gone through that morning, sometimes when you tell yourself, you're going to do this, and I don't care whether you like it or not, you're going to do it. You break through something that on the other side, you feel free. You feel set free. And like David said, you feel the uplifting of the spirit like an eagle soaring above your problems. Amen? If you have a discussion sheet, go ahead and flip it, and real quickly we will go through four points that hopefully will help you apply this psalm, remember it, and take it with you this week. The first one is this. Remember that God has forgiven all sin. David starts out, forget not his benefits. He forgives your iniquities. David begins by reminding us that God forgives all sin. This is the foundation for everything else. Our greatest problem is the conviction we feel from our sin. We may not know it's sin. We may not call it sin. But we know something is not right here. We know something's just a little bit wrong, a little bit wonky. And we feel that conviction sometimes when it happens. When God forgives that, the foundation of all peace begins to take over. The foundation of all clarity begins to invade your soul. Through Jesus' death on the cross, God has forgiven all of our sins, all past, present, and future. What is David saying? You don't just have forgiveness. You live in forgiveness. You live in it. You live in it. You can't get away from it unless you want to get away from it, unless you walk away from it, but you live in forgiveness. That's good news because I don't know about you, but some of you like me, you've really blown it. You've messed up over and over and over and you keep telling God and you keep telling yourself, this is the last time. Promising never to do it again and then, you, and then you stumble again. And the beauty is, Jesus is still there to catch you. He's still there to forgive you. Is God a softy for being this kind of God? Not at all. He just knows that love and forgiveness works a lot better than crime and punishment. A long time ago, when I first got to California, I met with uh, someone or talking to someone's brother who used to come here. And remember he said, you know, I don't believe in God, but even if I did, I wouldn't believe in Jesus and Christianity. It's too easy. It's too easy. Just believe and that's it. It's too easy. And I said, no, no. You don't understand how it works. God doesn't think in terms of what's hard or what's easy. God will do it whether it's hard or whether it's easy. God thinks in terms of what works and what doesn't. Jesus' death on the cross works. You trying to earn your way there doesn't work. God knows what works and what doesn't work. And that's what we're about. Point number two. Remember that all healing comes from God all healing comes from God people ask me as a pastor do you believe in divine healing 
Folks, it's the only kind there is. <laughs> if you got a headache and you take an aspirin and you're healed, God heals you. If you go to a worship meeting and you get a slap to the forehead and God heals you, then God healed you, you know? That's the only kind of healing there is. Whether God does it through supernatural miracles or through natural means, it's the same God who created the same potential for healing straight across the board. Amen? Good medicine and good prayer go together. Number three, remember that God still delivers us from evil. He says, who redeems your life from the pit. This is an allusion to the Old Testament story of a man named Joseph, whose brothers were so jealous of him, they threw him in a pit, which was a dried up water well. And, and it wasn't the kind you could climb your way out of. When they threw him in the pit, that was death. They didn't have the guts to just slay him with a knife. So they just threw him in a pit and walked away. And eventually he would have starved and died. Then they saw a caravan coming by and they said, hey, wait a minute. Rather than kill him, let's sell him. So they're bringing him up out of the pit. Poor Joseph is probably thinking, oh, my brothers changed their mind. They're not murderers. They don't want to kill me. Only to have them bind his hands and sell him as a slave. But Joseph's life was redeemed. His brothers may have meant Joseph harm. But God saw Joseph and God elevated Joseph to the vice president of Egypt and he was able to save his entire family. A life redeemed from the pit. When I was first became a Christian, uh, I remember I met this real rough, gruff kind of guy in our church. And I gravitated toward him because I had a little street in me growing up. I, I, I kind of grew a little bit up that way and talked that way and walked that way. And so being new to the faith, he was a little bit of an easier bridge than some of the people who'd been Christians for 40 years. So I can hang out with him, you know, and, and we talk and everything. And, and I, I, I asked him once, I said, you know, do you ever miss it? Do you ever miss it, your life before God, your life before Christ? He looks at me and goes, son, you and I don't want to go there. <laughs> I said, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. He goes, Tom, I've lived two lives. One life in the pit and one life in the light. And I'll never go back to the pit. Never, ever, ever. He who redeems your life from the pit. Number four, remember that God blesses you out of his unchanging love for you. Unchanging. Our love changes. Sometimes it changes for the good. Sometimes it changes for the bad. Bad meaning maybe you're less loving as a person. You get soured by life. We can be very changing, very inconsistent. I, I love him, I love him not. She loves me, she loves me not. Like picking daisies off a flower. God's love is never changing. The same amount of love he had for you your first breath is the same love he loves now. This is the never failing loyal unchanging love I like how Billy Graham said it Billy Graham said it's not that God is obligated to love you it's not that he has to love you in order to remain a good God it's that he wants to love you 
that he looks on all of us with compassion and understanding and says, I love you. Just like that leper I was talking about. God, I know you can help me, but I don't know if you love me. And Jesus said, I love you. I'm willing. And the man was healed. Sometimes when you get to that point where you say, you know what? I accept that God loves me. Something is about to happen in your soul. A soul earthquake. Because that's the beginning of God doing everything in your life. Is first crossing that threshold. God loves me. Amen? And then finally remember that God is good to you. And he renews your strength. David said, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. If I were to say how many of you feel satisfied right now, don't put your hands up. But think about that for a moment. How would you answer that question? Are you satisfied right now? Because how you answer that question tells me a lot about you. It tells me a lot about what you're operating in in terms of what brings you joy and happiness in life. God satisfies us. Unfortunately, like me in the car accident, we don't always want the satisfaction that God wants to give us. We want the satisfaction that we want in certain ways that we want it. To be satisfied means to be so full that you need nothing else. And sometimes with satisfaction, you have to take it on faith. But the reason why this verse is where it is is it's a summary of the last four things that David has said. What he's really saying is this. When I remember, and sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget. I get kind of scared like, oh man, where's that bolt of lightning? God's going to fry me, you know. Sometimes I forget. But when I remember, wait a minute. I'm forgiven. I live forgiven. All of a sudden, I feel a little stronger. Something in me is satisfied by God's forgiveness. When I remember, wait, 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 wait. Wait, God has the final word on any tragedy in my life. I begin to get a little stronger and something in me is satisfied. I say, whoa, wait, 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 wait. Wait, things may look bad now, but God can open doors I never even thought of. I begin to get a little bit stronger and something in my heart is satisfied that I'm not left to the whims of fate, nor am I left to the whims of self-sufficiency, that I do all I can do, but ultimately it's God who wants to open the door for me. Why? so that I will turn around and glorify his name for it. Amen. When I remember that God commands rest during the storms of life, and I trust in him, I get a little stronger, and something in me is satisfied. When I am impatient, and then when I get impatient, I try to control everything. That's the, you know that I'm being impatient when the control freak comes out, right? I try to control everything. I know none of you do that. I happen to do that. And then I hear this still small voice that says, wait, be patient. 
I have a park by my house. And when I get really anxious or restless, you can ask my wife, I go and I walk the laps of the park and I pray. And I pray off the anxiety. So I, I'm like everybody else. I, I'm prone to anxiety and depression at times. And so I gotta, I gotta, sometimes I'll do 10 laps just walking and praying that stuff off. One time I was over there doing it and it wasn't working. And I just kept saying, you know, God, I'm praying, but I just don't feel any different. And, and I don't know how God speaks to you, but he speaks to me in like short little commanding sentence. He said, stop and sit crisscross applesauce. And then sitting crisscross applesauce gets a little tiring, right? Your back starts to waver. So I put my hand out to brace myself and I put it in a pile of dog dew. <laughs> You'd have thought that I'd have got angry. I started laughing. You know why? My biggest problem in that moment weren't my problems I couldn't change, but the fact that I had a little bit of doggy do on my hand that washes off very quickly. Amen? You know? And there was something. It's a true story, by the way. And there's something about that sense of peace. Be still. Storm's still going, but you're sitting down at the table in the presence of the enemies. But God's at the table. And there's where the peace comes from. I've noticed the longer I live, and I spot them quicker and quicker, there's kind of two kinds of people in the world. There's the people who focus on what they want and the people who focus on what they have. And boy, you can tell the difference. The people who focus on what they want from God, from you, from their job, from life, they always live in lack. There's always a dissatisfaction, a, a, a lack of being satisfied. Then there are the, those who are grateful for what they have. Can you honestly say, you know, even if it never gets any better than this, I am satisfied with God. I'm satisfied. That God has been enough for me. That what he has given me so far. Sometimes I'll meet these people. They've got it all. They've got a great job. A good looking husband or a good looking wife. Kids and a house. Two cars. And, and, and still they'll schedule an appointment with me and I'll hear 60 minutes of what they lack. It's, very, it's getting harder and harder for me to know what to say because the problem is not about what you lack. The problem is you're not seeing what you have. So I kind of steer it to where David's at. Okay, all right, well, let's not talk about all this, you know. Let's talk about forgiveness. Let's talk about healing. Let's talk about the God who crowns you with righteousness. Let's talk about the God who redeems you from the pit. And once we begin to steer that way, people begin to receive that satisfaction. Sometimes God is all you have. But I think what David's saying is, God is all you need. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. 
And Lord, I pray we just take a moment right now, one minute to be precise, one minute to do a one-minute praise, a one-minute praising. That we would take this challenge that David gives us to praise you right now in our hearts for one minute. Lord, I pray we wouldn't just thank you for nice automobiles or houses or clothes or even our pantries. Those are all good. We need them. God, I, I pray that part of this one minute would also be thank you, God, for forgiving me. I forget how important it is to live with that in my life. Thank you, God, for healing me. Whether there's a prescription right now that's keeping me sane or whether I got touched this morning by prayer worship and that healed me. God, I, I know all healing comes from you. Thank you, God, for redeeming my life from the pit. I could very well be a Joseph. And I've gone through trials and storms, but God, you've been there through them all. Thank you for your unchanging love for me. That even though I may wake up tomorrow all hacked off at you because of my perceived lack of what you did, you'll love me no less. And God, thank you. But you are good. You renew my strength so that I can soar like an eagle above the problems, above the storm, in the heights, with you, with your spirit.